0: Welcome to episode 19 of Flying Podcast. Today I'm talking to Judith Mole and Jeff Minchell, who are keen paraglider and hang glider pilots. I've often watched the paragliders up in the Peak District and wondered what's involved in probably the cheapest and some would say the purest form of aviation. Well, today I'm hopefully going to get an insight into these two foot-launched free flight sports. Let's listen to the podcast with Judith and Jeff. Uh, good evening, Judith and Jeff.
1: Hello. Hi.
0: You guys fly hang gliders and paragliders between you. Uh, could you give me a, a brief sort of history of uh, how you got into the sport and where you are up to now?
2: Um, yeah, I, I started flying first. And I first learned to hang glide in, I think, about 91, so a long time ago. Um, I flew hang gliders and still do fly hang gliders uh, for all that time. I took up paragliding about four or five years ago, six years ago, six years ago time flies. Um, and now I probably, well no, I, no, I do tend to fly paragliders more than I fly hang gliders but um, I still get the hang glider out uh, in summer in the UK. Um,
1: I started flying hang gliders in 1996 um, and flew them for 9 years. Um, I had a couple of accidents in my flying career that made me into a slightly more cautious pilot and I took up paragliding six years ago and gave up hang gliding four years ago, so I now fly paragliders exclusively.
0: Uh, why would you say you, you fly hang gliders and paraglid- paragliders?
1: Um, well, the thing that attracted me most to it was just the idea of free flight. I think um, everybody who's interested in aviation has an idea of wanting to fly like a bird or you know, fly. Um, but what really attracted me to it was the idea that um, it's a, an aircraft on your back. You know, You, I can carry my aircraft literally in a rucksack and I can take it up a hill and I can fly off. And just the idea that you can fly long distances without any kind of powered assistance, just with the wind and thermals and, and your own willpower, just I found really, really exciting. And so that was really what made me want to want to fly paragliders and hang gliders.
2: And I, I think for me... I It's hard to say what prompted me to start in the first place, partly because it's such a long time ago. But it's actually a really, really beautiful thing to do, to be able to free fly um, in all sorts of places. But also, it's an incredibly skillful thing to do. It's very, very, very difficult to do it very, very, very well. And um, you never stop learning. And I've been flying, whatever it is, since 91, 18 years. And I I still learn new things when I fly.
0: I guess you would uh, say that you are... Uh, the most in touch with the elements, aren't you, when you're flying?
2: Absolutely, definitely.
0: And it's uh, probably the most elemental and purest form of flying, would you claim?
1: <laughs> we would, yes. <laughs> 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 I mean, there, I know there are very old sailplanes that didn't have a canopy, but nowadays there's hardly, well, there's no other aircraft that you actually feel the wind in your face yep. in the way that we do, you know, and, and that's kind of a, a key part of our flying experience is actually feeling the wind and, um, and yeah, being in touch with the elements because you need to feel the thermals, you need to feel the wind in order to be able to use it properly. Yeah.
2: And, and you can take them anyway, you don't need a huge infrastructure um, to be able to fly them um, as long as you've got a hill that you're... Okay, to fly from, um, you you can go flying. Yeah, Uh, there's there's a huge amount of freedom with uh, the foot launched aircraft.
0: Your paraglider is basically just a huge rucksack, isn't it? Is that right?
2: Uh, Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) When when we've been cross country and um, people have picked us up, and they ask you, you chat to them, they say, "How did you? How did you get here?" And say, "Oh, we flew here." Paragliding, and then they finally get around to asking what the rucksack is yep. and say well that's it that's what I flew on and by and large they just don't believe you you have to work really hard to convince them that you actually flew however far it was 40, 50, 60, 70 kilometres on the thing that you can fit on your bike.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I think there's a big misconception about um, hang gliding and paragliding that um, you can actually just only fly down or just do a little bit of ridge soaring a lot of people don't really appreciate that we were able to fly quite long distances on them so the British paragliding distance record is um, 196 kilometres, and the British hang gliding distance record is 270 something. So these are, you know, pretty big distances in a small country with a lot of restricted airspace. So you know they are proper um, a means of getting a long way if you've got the skill.
0: So proper flying machines, aren't they, rather than just a parachute, lucky, lucky, or
1: yes. <laughs> That's correct. Uh,
0: Let's get on to training. Um, What's involved in training to to get a license for uh, either of these two?
1: Okay, if I um, start with paragliding, if you go on a paragliding training course, you spend a few days actually ground handling, which means learning to control the wing um, on the ground. So you'll practice inflating the canopy, getting it up safely um controlling it um, with a brake so learning to steer it, learning to land it, you can do all those things on the ground and then you start going a little bit higher up the hill and doing short hops um, in you know on, all under radio instruction from a, uh, an instructor and then as you progress in your learning um, you'll go higher up a hill and then eventually you'll do high flights and then soaring flights and then you have to do a couple of exams. Well, if you go um, with a school that's regulated by um the governing body for um, hang gliding and paragliding, the BHPA, then you'll sit various exams. and First of all, you get your elementary pilot's license, which isn't really a license. It's a, a qualification that, um, that our governing body gives out to show a certain standard of airmanship that you've attained. And then you get your club pilot's license and that um, deems you good enough or having passed enough or done enough training and passed a particular exam so that you're um, capable of flying on your own under supervision or well under supervision of a club coach rather than an instructor and then we've got various other levels of qualification so the cross-country pilot and advanced pilot
0: once you've got your club pilot license, can you go just flying on your own from a club site? Yes, you can. Right. So that's your sort of flying pilot's license, basically. Is the club pilot license?
2: Yeah, basically. It's not strictly a license because a license implies that you have to have it. These are ratings by the uh, given out by the BHPA. Um, and theoretically, you well, not theoretically in practice, you don't actually have to have anything to be able to free fly a hang glider or a paraglider. However, however, um, we strongly encourage people to uh, take up the training and go through the rating system um, for the obvious reasons that if you try and teach yourself to fly hang gliders or paragliders, um, chances are extremely high that you'll hurt yourself and, or possibly even kill yourself. And the BHPA, um, through its BHPA approved training schools at least teaches people to a certain standard and um, covers things like uh, third party insurance and so on, which is uh, obviously very important. Okay.
1: In terms of learning how to hang glide, um, there's various ways, it's quite common these days to learn on a winch um, because that way you don't have to lug the hang glider back up the hill. But when Jeff and I learned to hang glide, Um, The most common way was to actually go up a hill and wait for a really, really windy day. And then they would tie uh, ropes to the hang glider and suspend you about five meters high as if you were in a massive kite. Yeah. And you could actually learn to steer the glider and launch it and land it on the spot you know you didn't actually move very far and then you started doing your bunny hops and everything right. and um to be honest that was what got me hooked on hang gliding because i when i did my first day's training i haven't laughed so much in years <laughs> so, <laughs> being suspended on this big kite it's when you say um, a winch
0: how does the winch work
1: uh, it's just a static winch
0: and they tow you, tow you up into the air
1: yep all right um, gotcha. they, they use a big line on a field and they tow you as high as they can and then you um, release the the toe leg, or the toe release, and you just fly a circuit and then land back um, at the start point.
0: That sounds like fun.
1: It is, yeah. And in terms of like the exams that we sit, they cover things like air law, navigation, meteorology, um, rules of the air. Um, principles of flight. Sorry, principles of flight, so that we know a bit about the background of the aerodynamics and how it all works.
0: You actually have to uh, pass an exam for this, or is it just sort of general knowledge of?
1: No, they're all exams. They so
0: um, same as general aviation, pretty much?
2: Um, well, the same, same thing as, as, as I said earlier on. Um, it's, you don't have to do this. This is part of the um, course that you have to do if you want to get a BHPA rating. Right. Offline. But okay. as I think I said, the vast majority of people do learn that way.
0: Okay. And how long does it take to, to become a, a club pilot?
2: Depends entirely on the weather.
0: <laughs> it is very, very um, weather dependent, isn't it?
2: It's incredibly weather dependent and part of the problem when you're training is that you need different um, types of weather at different uh, times during the training. Theoretically, theoretically you're talking about six or seven days training um, but to actually get the right six or seven days in Britain can take many many months um, it depends how flexible you are as well obviously if you can only come out at weekends um, it's probably going to take you longer than someone who can actually come out any time during the week. Um, it's also faster, in general, for people to learn if they go abroad outside Britain, where the weather's more reliable. And some um, some British schools do run courses abroad for uh, getting your qualifications.
0: So when you're starting off, you need what a nice gentle breeze up a slope somewhere for both of these sports.
2: Yes, I would say so. Basically, I mean, Maybe with the hand gliding, if, if they're doing the tethered soaring, like Duke was just uh, describing, then a little bit stronger breeze might be um, better. But in general it's just a, a nice gentle breeze, not thermic. Not the last thing you want is thermals. Okay. Um, because that means you have to control the glider in different ways and it can, thermals can be the glider one way or the other. And you need um, much better control of the glider before you can deal effectively with thermals. So nice, stable conditions.
0: No rain and no sun.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that can be difficult to get in Britain. (laughs) Well, not the sun, but uh, avoiding the rain can be difficult.
0: Is there any medical requirement for
2: this? No, there isn't. Right. But it's just recommended.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously our governing body recommends that you are fit and healthy and don't have any heart conditions or anything, but there's no... I mean, to be honest, people can judge themselves if they're fit enough to do it, because if they can't walk their equipment up a hill, then they're not going to be very successful at doing it. So,
0: so is it a fairly young person sport that you need to be able to walk your kit up a hill? Or when you get good, are you able to land back on the top and it doesn't really matter?
2: Being able to land back on the top makes a huge difference, and it's quite common in Britain. Probably The, the majority of sites will be top-landable. Uh, that's less true um, abroad in, in Europe. Um, where the sites are, are, are very different than the nice, gentle British hills. But in terms of the age profile, hang glider pilots tend to be older than paraglider pilots, um, partly because there's a lot fewer people coming into hang gliding now than there were a few years ago because the sorts of people that take up free flying and they tend to go into paragliding right. um, for, for various reasons. So the age profile of paraglider pilots is, in general, younger than the age profile of... Hang glider pilots,
1: but um, on the other hand, I wouldn't say it's a, a <coughs> sorry. I wouldn't say it's a very young person sport because it's not a cheap sport to do. So most young people, you know, can't afford to to buy the equipment, right. you know, straight off. So I would say that you know the majority of of pilot paraglider and hang glider pilots are sort of 30 to 60. Um, we have got older paraglider pilots and older hang glider pilots as well um in our club sorry not in our club at the moment but in their previous club the oldest member was 79 i think and still an active flyer gosh so Uh,
0: well speaking of cost let's say you decide you want to learn to to paraglide uh, what sort of equipment do you need on day one
1: um so If you go to a school, all this equipment is provided to you. But if you actually want to buy your own equipment, um, a wing, a paraglider, um, nowadays brand new, costs somewhere between two and a half and three and a half thousand. And then you'll also obviously need a harness, which can cost anywhere between about three hundred and for a competition harness, probably eight or nine hundred pounds. Then you need a parachute and you need your instruments, obviously a helmet um, and well clothing you need good boots and, and a good jacket for hang gliders, um, hang gliders are more expensive a sort of average intermediate wing would be somewhere between £3,000 and £6,000 for a competition wing you're talking more and then again you need a harness um, and again they need a parachute and instruments as well so it's it's not cheap
0: Okay, what sort of instruments do you need on, on day one?
1: Well we fly with varios, so variometers.
0: That gives you the, the height that you're going up and down?
1: Um it gives it tells you if you are going up or down. Yep. So it beeps if you're going up and it grumbles when you go down. Okay. Um, we also usually have a compass. Um and these days most people fly with the GPS as well.
0: Right. Do you guys get into transponders, you know, for for airspace, or does that not come into the equation?
2: Uh it does not. Coming into equation yet? There's always mutterings from the CAA um, about bringing in transponders for us, but there's all sorts of practical problems uh, to do with size and weight and where you would actually put them and so on, and also whether or not they actually be any use in the long run. Okay. And um, that's a long discussion. If you just go back to costs briefly, I've just checked on the costs of learning to fly, and it will cost you around about a thousand pounds. To learn to fly up to club pilot, right. So again, it's a significant cost.
0: Yes, but a damn sight cheaper than general aviation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> but as Judith said earlier on, I mean that's probably one of the reasons that um, you don't you tend not to get very young people in the sport. Yeah. Um, it needs to be people that have actually uh, got a little bit of money somewhere.
1: However, saying that, once you've bought your equipment, that will last you some years and you haven't got any other outlays. It's not like we have to pay for launch fees or fuel or anything like that. So it's, it's economic in that sense that you know the, the ongoing costs are fairly minimal.
0: Right. I, I presume you've touched on this but there are different levels of, of wings in both sports. There are sort of beginner's wings which I guess you know, are much safer and then there are more advanced ones which let you go further and fly faster. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, Beginner's wings tend to be um, more... um, They have a a lower aspect ratio um, and they have got more inbuilt safety features. Higher performance wings tend to be faster and you have a slight trade-off between safety and performance. So um, there's a rating system that um, was devised by the European... Well, originally it was devised by the Germans, but it's been taken over as a European standard... And it's, um, there's four, uh, sorry, sorry, there's five degrees of classification. There's A, which is beginner's wing, and then B, which is slightly more advanced, C, which is more advanced than that, D, which is nearly a competition wing, and then there's competition prototypes, which only development pilots and and sort of top-level pilots fly. So there is, um, you know, depending on how much um, experience you have, you move up, and also how much confidence you have. And what you actually want to get out of flying. If you don't fly competitions, you don't really need a very high-performance wing. If you are a recreational cross-country pilot, then a, um, you know a sort of a B or C-grade wing is absolutely perfectly adequate.
0: Right. I think we've we've touched on where you can fly from. I, I presume most people in this country fly from from hills somewhere.
1: Anybody who lives near hills does. People in Norfolk and <laughs> sort of the real flats, they tend to fly off winches.
0: Okay.
2: But then there's probably not that many pilots that people actually, not in pilots live in Norfolk because they all tend to move if they want to continue flying.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, you, you
2: fly, in Britain you fly off hills. Uh, so, well, in most places, most places you fly off hills. But there are some winch, um, particularly for hang gliding, there's a number of winch operations where a group of hang glider pilots operate a static winch or, more likely, operate an aerial tow. I'm not sure how many groups are in Britain, maybe three groups, two or three groups of hang glider pilots mm, who um, get towed up by a micro light and uh, launch that way. And, and, of course, that saves you the trouble of actually carrying your glider up a hill or finding your hill in the right direction. Um, one of the problems in Britain is that you need to actually, well, one of the problems anyway is that you need to find um, a hill pointing the right direction Yeah, and it's more of a problem in Britain than it is in uh, Europe because it tends to be windy in Britain whereas in in Europe south facing hills at some point tend to work because the thermals come up the face irrespective of what the uh, actual met wind is.
0: Right that was going to be my next question flying abroad is that a common thing now people you mentioned going abroad to learn to fly. Do people go away on holiday and have flying holidays? I presume they do.
2: They do, yeah. Particularly when they get fed up with the weather in Britain. You don't get many people from um, abroad coming to fly in Britain, uh, but you get a, a distinct uh, exodus of people from Britain going to fly abroad or indeed living, living abroad. Um, the weather's better. It's more reliable. Flying in Britain, especially flying cross-country in Britain, is, is really, really good, so long as the weather plays ball. Mm. Um, which it does sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Flying abroad is different in many ways. Um, a lot of the flying abroad is done in mountains, um, so in the Alps for example the weather patterns are completely different than the weather you would get flying off the Long Mind in Britain and you need to learn a, a not, so much, not so much a different set of skills but you need to um, get different knowledge about how the, um, the air works in yep. the Alps compared with how it works in Britain. It is substantially different. Yes.
0: And just your, your own personal case here, you both fly from the Long Mind in the summer, is that, is that correct? And then the, the winter you spend in Spain?
1: That's correct <laughs> because, you know, it's in winter the weather in Britain is such that you hardly get a chance to fly. Tell me about it. (laughs) In in Spain, well, we flew today and, well, last week we went skiing and flying and, yeah.
0: (laughs) Don't rub it in, right.
1: (laughs) But it means that you can stay current, you know, if you can fly a lot. And um, obviously, the more current you are, the safer you are. So, for us, it's quite important to fly a lot because... Um, we we both want to go. Well, we both compete in the cross country league, and I also compete um, in paragliding competitions. So for me, it's quite crucial to stay current all the time.
0: Okay. The uh, you mentioned the, the hang glider is is falling from favour a little bit nowadays, and people are moving into paragliders. What's the reason behind that?
2: Convenience.
0: Just because they're easier to lug around and put in, put in your car.
2: Um, I, it's it's a number of things, but. Uh there's quite a few differences between hang gliders and paragliders but to summarize it paragliders are actually a lot more convenient because they are easier to carry around but also the landing characteristics are radically different than those of a hang glider and you can land them uh, coming into a far 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 slower pace and you can land them in very very small spaces uh, including on the slopes of hills whereas a hang glider you come in quite fast and obviously you slow it down to a standstill when you flare but you need flatter ground because their glide angle is so much greater than the paraglider you can't slope land them because the wing is um, stretching out to yep. both sides of you rather than uh, a few feet above you. Um, so the landings are much trickier on the hang glider than on the paraglider. Paragliding is much easier to learn in the first place. Harder to fly well once you've learned than a hang glider but easier to learn in the first place and um, it's also easier for people to teach to a certain level, uh, to teach paragliding um, to the uh, club pilot level and so um, there's a lot of incentive for people to concentrate on teaching arts rather than on teaching hand gliding. So hang gliding is definitely a minor, minority sport now compared with paragliding, whereas when I learned to fly, paragliding didn't exist at all, barely, barely existed.
0: So why would you do hang gliding now? What's the, the advantage? I presume there is some.
1: For me, um, hang gliding is actually more like the sensation of being a bird. You're flying prone, so you're actually, you know, lying down, you're facing forward, and the speed and um, position that you're in actually gives you more of a bird-like feeling. On a paraglider, you're sitting down, so you can obviously see your feet, and it is a bit more like sitting in an armchair. And um, On a hang glider, A, you've got more speed. Um, it's a, f- a fixed wing, so it's not going to collapse on you. There is a huge inconvenience factor, but as an aircraft, they are actually... I better not say better <laughs> because I'll be lynched by all my paragliding friends. But they are—they um, are an aircraft. Yeah. Uh, More aerodynamically efficient. They are, yes. and they've got—you um, can fly greater distances on them without a doubt because you can the tr- the transition from cloud to cloud is much easier because you've got a better sync rate and you can fly faster. So you can fly greater distances. On the other hand, paragliding. Um, is so popular these days not just because you can learn it more easily it, it seems to take less time to learn but they're so incredibly convenient and they you can do other things on paragliders you can't do on a hang glider for example you can skim closer to the ground you can slope land you can put them down in tiny tiny fields so you're not flying sort of from landing area to landing area like you are in a cross country on a hang glider so they are more popular. Also, you know, for example, just storage. If you have a hang glider, you need a garage or a shed. In a paraglider, you can just keep it in your hallway. So there are um, reasons why hang gliding should be more popular, but the convenience factor is winning out for paragliding.
0: As I remember years ago someone tried to sell me a hang glider. This is going back uh, 30 years or so, and I remember having to carry this thing up a hill, and it must—it felt like having someone on my shoulders. I thought. <laughs> this is a crazy sport. It must get easier now, but I don't know.
1: Um, no, when I flew hang gliders, I carried half my own body weight. It's crazy. And so I, we used to. Well, I've always carried my harness and my glider at the same time because who wants to, you know, get up the hill and then have to walk down for a second go? Yeah. So yeah, no, there, there. I mean, that's another thing that puts people off. It's just the sheer physical effort that it takes to actually get. Unless you've got a top drivable hill, in which case it's easy. Yeah. But if you have to carry up hills carrying 30 odd kilos, you know, people think it's mad. And obviously, a hang glider, even when it's folded up, is between six and seven meters long. Yep. So they're just awkward, and if it's windy as well, you know you're sort of getting battered about, and you've got this big long thing on your back. It's it's hard, and you know it takes. That's one of the things that you need to get used to at the beginning of hang gliding is just the physical effort, building up the muscles, learning the technique to carry it without putting your back out and things. And it, I mean, certainly a lot of women it puts off. There's very very few women hang glider pilots. And
2: there is the other disadvantage that you have to, if you're carrying a hang glider, you've got to put up with all the moronic jokes from the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a big coat hanger you've got there. <laughs>
1: what you're doing up here with a carpet, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So uh, when that happens, you just you just swing round very quickly. <laughs> 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 that's one tourist less.
0: In terms of uh, landing, once you've jumped off the top of the hill, when you're learning to fly, I presume in nine times out of ten, yeah, you land in the valley. Is that correct?
2: Well, hopefully 10 times out of 10. <laughs> Rather
0: than landing somewhere on the hill, I mean, you, you actually, you know, if you're successful, you get all the way to the valley bottom and you have to walk back up again.
2: Um, when you're
1: first learning, yes. Yeah. Unless you're doing, you're, you know, they're trying to teach you to top land.
2: Right. The actual um, certificates, the, the qualifications do involve some top landings. Right. But in general, you'll be landing down at the bottom and because you're with a the school, um, they'll probably drive you back up and it depends on the hill. But more often than not, there'll be a, a vehicle down at the bottom waiting for you and they'll drive back up all the um, all the students. OK.
0: I've been up to, uh, you know, I presume you've flown from Mam Tour in Derbyshire?
2: Many times. We used to live in the Peak District.
0: And once you're up there, when you you know, you know stand there and it's a, a good day, there can be, I don't know, you tell me, 50 people up and they all look to be going around in, in arbitrary directions. Are there sort of rules of the air to stop people flying to each other?
2: Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same rules of the air that, um, that general aviation has to follow. Um,
0: we, we have rules.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, two aircraft in converging paths. The one with the other glider to the, or the other aircraft to the right gives way. You break right if you've got two oncoming. Um, gliders we you know it's the same with you have to give way to a slower aircraft so hang gliders have to give way to paragliders uh, sailplanes have to give way to hang gliders and paragliders you know just the general stuff we've also you know we we respect air law and don't fly into restricted airspace we do the thing about you know having a ground clearance over a congested area and all that kind of stuff so yeah we we
2: but having said that some of the popular sites in is one that do get very crowded and um, I mean, irrespective of what the rules are, you have to keep your eyes open and be very careful. And if it's too crowded, don't fly. Yeah. If if it becomes too crowded because other people launching, then land. You know, it's it's better to be safe on the ground than um, flying in conditions that you don't like. And the, I is a particularly difficult site because although it seems quite big, in certain wind directions, the actual soarable ridge is quite small and of course it's uh, in the peak district which gets very busy anyway so it can get very very crowded there and um, you just have to be extremely careful
1: i mean the other thing is that if you have um, aircraft of different speeds so if you have if you're mixing paragliders and hang gliders it's more you know it's more difficult for the hang gliders to weave around because obviously they're flying much faster, because they have to. That's that's the way hang gliders fly. They can't slow it down to be at the same speed as paragliders. So it, it gives the impression of sort of weaving in and out and dodging each other. Um, but where we fly at the Long Mind, obviously we fly right next to a sailplane club. So we've got hang gliders, paragliders and sailplanes. And then having three types of aircraft with different air speeds obviously makes it a little bit more complicated. But that's why we have rules of braking right and... And trying, well, we have rules to, to make sure that we do our utmost to avoid mid air collisions.
0: Uh, so, what, what's your sort of ideal day out when you go to the Long Mind and you, know, you go out for a day? What What's your sort of ambition? You know, do, you, do you try and fly a long distance? Do you plan to fly to somewhere or do you just go and soar around?
2: For Judith and I, our ambition is to actually go across country. It's always to go across country. Right. Um, that doesn't apply to all people. Some people are um, happy just uh, staying on the ridge, and that's fine. Um, but we always try and go uh, a distance. Um, sometimes, if, well, especially if it's a competition, as we be going to a specific place. Um, if we're just free flying, it will be um, basically going as far as we can. Or, or doing circuits. Um, if it's a very, very light wind or no wind day, but thermic, then you can try and do every turns or triangles. But those aren't that easy to do if there's any wind at all unless you've got a very high performance uh, glider, paraglider, easier to do on a hang glider.
0: I was listening to one of your podcasts which I'll, I'll put a link to on, uh, in my show notes and uh, you flew from the Long Mind over to near Ledbury, is that correct?
1: No, that was from the Malverns.
2: It's just a three-way podcast between me, Judith and somebody else? That's correct, yeah. That, that was from the Malverns.
1: And we flew to, we were on our way to Pandy.
0: Right. Let's say you know you set off from uh, the Malverns and fly to wherever. You, you don't really know where you're going to land, do you? And what happens when you arrive in a, you know, a car park somewhere at three o'clock in the afternoon? How do you get back to your car?
1: <laughs> well, to be honest, it's actually one of my favourite bits. The thing, the thing about cross country flying isn't just that you've had this amazing experience in the air and that you've caught thermals and got a bit further and things, but I know it sounds ridiculous, but I get a real buzz of walking up to people and saying, where am I? (laughs) Because sometimes you're not quite sure. Because obviously air maps, you know, it's very difficult to tell where you are from an air map. And although you've got GPS, sometimes they don't um, actually focus in so well that you can actually tell where you are. So sometimes you've got to ask people, you know, where am I? Because we don't, you know, know where we're going to land unless we've set ourselves a defined task. Yep. And, um, well, I mean, there's various ways of getting back because obviously a paragliders are so transportable. You can hitchhike um, or you can phone a mate to come and get you or you can use public transport. I've landed next to, to houses and people have come out to talk to me because they've been so amazed. And when they hear how far you've come, you know, they can't believe that you've just done it with this bit of fabric and a few strings. And they often say, you know, how are you going to get back? And I sort of say, well, where's the nearest train station? And they say, I'll take you there. So... You know, there's, people tend to be really friendly and very interested in, in what we're doing, so often it's, it's quite easy to get back, or at least by public transport.
2: People are actually quite generous, and we also carry a sign saying Glider Pilot, <laughs> um, and that makes a difference. People who wouldn't stop for an ordinary hitchhiker, they'll see the sign, and they, they do stop. It, it makes a huge difference, especially if you're a, a man on your own, um, people obviously especially nowadays, reluctance to stop for hitchhikers. But um, hitching I find quite easy, usually. Um, And I do a lot of it to get back from uh, cross countries.
1: I wouldn't normally hitchhike, ever. But if I've gone on a cross-country and I'm in the wilds of Wales, where you know there is no public transport, where you don't have a mobile signal. Sometimes you don't actually have a choice. But I found people incredibly nice. You know, 95% of the population are really good, nice people who just want to help. And a lot of people, if they see me standing by the roadside with this massive rucksack and my paraglider sign, they sort of think, well, at least if she's in my car, I know she's going to be safe. And they take me, you know, back to the nearest train station. And so people have been really good to me.
0: So you make lots of new friends in this sport.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I say, people are really interested. You know, they think it's really fascinating. And some people say, oh, you know, I could never do that. And other people say, oh, I really, really like to try. And and I always have a stack of BHPA cards on me so that they can find the nearest school if they do want to. And yeah, I mean, it's really easy. You know, you walk into a pub waiting to be retrieved and. People look at the rucksack and immediately ask you questions, and before you know it, you're chatting to everybody, and people's buying people are buying you beers, and you never get out to the car. To, you know, so it's great. Yeah, you you can. It's it's a real sort of social thing.
0: That's the real reason why you do the sport. We've just touched on there, eh?
1: The free the beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually fly. I just <laughs> wander to random pubs with my parachute.
0: If you're doing a, a cross-country flight, is it? Are you flying like you would in a glider, where you're looking for thermals and?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's the same.
0: And you fly from sort of like cloud base and then you glide down and try and thermal back up again?
2: Yes, that's it, exactly. I mean, ideally, you fly from cloud to cloud. So the the, the principles and the skills that you need to um, to go across country and find, find the thermals are the same for a hang glider, for a paraglider, for, for a sailplane.
0: Do you guys get involved in uh, uh, – sometimes I've seen them up in the Lake District, and like people are uh, circling in thermals and they're in there with um, – birds of prey like buzzards and such like do you you get that sort of thing
2: yeah a lot
0: do you you try and follow the birds to to get get in the thermals
1: absolutely um if it's a really light wind day um, and you know if you launch and you end up in the bottom landing field then that's going to be you know by the time you got back up and got set up again you've lost an hour of the day so we sit there scanning the sky for birds because obviously they'll indicate the lift to us but i've flown with um vultures and eagles and you know really big birds and it's such a privilege because you know you're flying with them wingtip to wingtip especially on a hang glider because you're level with the birds and they're actually looking you in the eye and they're only a couple of meters away and it's you know that's a, an experience that is shared by so few people um, and that's one of the the really spectacular things about the sport that we do is that we are so connected with the birds you know in a way that you you don't get in a, in motorized flying
0: Okay, so my uh, juices are flowing now. How do I uh, sign up? Who do I talk <laughs> to find a school?
1: You live in Manchester, um, trained in the Peak District. <laughs> well, Which one do you want to do, hang gliding or paragliding? Oh, the easy one. <laughs> paragliding. <laughs> um, well, there's at least uh, three schools in the Peak District.
0: And you just find those from the BHPA? Uh, the
2: BHPA HPA um, website.
0: Right, well, that, that's all I need to know. That's fine. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks ever so much, Steve. Thanks. Nice talking okay. to you. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.
0: Okay, thanks to Jeff and Judith for taking part in Flying Podcast. If you're interested, you can now follow me on Twitter. Just search for Flying Podcast, that's all one word, and you'll get my regular tweets on there. Uh, you may have noticed some Amazon book choices appearing on my web pages. Uh, If you ever need to buy anything, absolutely anything from Amazon, please log into into Amazon via my website. Uh, No matter what you buy, it won't cost you any more, but it will give me a small commission, uh, which hopefully will help me with the costs of producing and hosting this podcast. Well, that's it for episode 19. If you've got any comments, as usual, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk.
2: Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you again soon.